0: program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels. From the exceptional Junior Tigers program, the HKBN Island League, learn-to-play and learn-to-skate programs all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full-contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG Showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and power Equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com.
1: Hey hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks Volume 47. My special guest today needs no introduction to our regular listeners. Uh, he's the man who breaks down all things hockey movies and some other old and interesting stories. We're here tonight as well. Of course, with Polly in the studio. How are you, Polly? Are you are you tucked in over there? <laughs> I'm doing all right over here. <laughs> and uh, of course, Mr. Terry Whalen here to uh, to break down another classic. How are you, Terry?
2: Yeah, great, uh, great, Chris. Great to be back uh, with yourself and uh, yourself and Paul. Uh, you know, excited about the new season. Yes. Yeah. We're new, ten games uh, in. Ten games in, and uh, well, the new format here. Yeah. Is uh, you know you got uh, Jesse, who's uh, obviously uh, a bright young whippersnapper. Yeah. Yeah, you enjoying and, uh, the pods with with Jess. Yeah, and uh, well, and and again, it, it lets Paul, uh, you know, uh, be the uh, the elder statesman. Yeah, right? exactly. His avuncular, you know, the the voice of reason. Oh, over his role hasn't decreased. he's doing more than he's ever done. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the voice of reason all of a sudden. God yeah, help exactly, us all. Yeah, exactly.
0: I'm I'm glad someone actually sees it the way I see it. Yeah, well, you'll gonna... notice
1: if you ever yeah if we ever have one of these videos, you'd see every time Jesse says something controversial. He peeks over his yeah. <laughs> yeah. shoulder at Paul. Yeah. He, hears,
2: he, he hears him coming. He hears footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> He's Perfect. hearing footsteps all the yeah. time. Yeah, so it's, it's been enjoyable. And, and also the Hockey Talks episode. Yeah. Uh, the last one, again, A.J. Uh, Galante was, uh, yeah, it was very well done. Awesome, uh, thanks, man. Uh, well, and, and again, anytime uh, someone you're interviewing you know, compliment you. Oh, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, yeah, and I heard that a couple of times. Oh, so uh, thanks, it's, man. Yeah, it's obvious you're putting the work in, and uh, yeah, a very interesting guy and a very interesting story. Absolutely. And yeah. speaking of putting the work in, hi, hey, hey,
1: you're the man that does that every time. Yeah, so let's happy. get right into this, Terry. Um, what do you got for us this
2: week? Yeah, this is uh, this is quite a, this is quite a flick, eh, Chris? This yeah. Is, uh, yeah. If if um well if the Mighty Ducks was the bad news bears of hockey movies, then gross misconduct. The Life of Brian Spencer is the Raging Bull, the tale of a man whose life was marked by violence, told by a talented director not associated with sports. Now available on YouTube and originally aired in February 1993 as a CBC Sunday Night movie. It's based on the book by acclaimed CBC slash Globe and Mail reporter Martin O'Malley. And I was able to read the book in preparation to come on here, so that, that helped. Uh, director Adam McGowan gives Brian Spencer's life the full arthouse treatment, employing a non-linear narrative to show Spencer as the product of the culture and the place from whence he came. It's a bit of a mess, like Brian Spencer himself, um, but I think it's ironic that such a regular hockey player, the epitome of a bottom six forward, a plugger, a guy, gets a movie made about his life and then gets his story told in such an unconventional fashion.
1: Right. So how exactly did this come about and why did this happen?
2: Yeah, he gets he gets a movie made about his life yeah. because of death. And right. uh, his fathers and later his own, uh, right. both of which were violent and tragic and very public. Right. So you're saying this isn't your typical sports movie. Uh, by no means, Chris. Right. Your your typical sports movie it proceeds with its established tropes. We see our hero grow up or he comes from out of nowhere. He overcomes obstacles and makes the show, but there's are setbacks. But then he triumphs at the end, or wins by losing like Rocky, and they all live happily ever after. This movie is not that. And again, that's partly because of the source material, but mostly because of the director. Gross misconduct begins with the birth of Brian Spencer, but through the use of flashbacks and flash-forwards, it quickly branches into two main storylines with Brian's life serving as the central storyline, while the second one recreates his father, Roy Spencer's, last day, using title cards like, On the day Roy Spencer was shot dead, he finished his chores early. And, The day Roy Spencer was shot dead, he installed a new TV antenna. (laughs) (laughs) The the dual storyline, that's not enough. (laughs) That's the most frustrating part of the entire movie. Well, and yes, now, if that's not enough... The dual storyline is complemented by a third unique component, the spirit of Brian Spencer in the form of a schoolboy hockey player. Mm -hmm. The young incarnation of Brian appears at intervals to reflect on his father, hockey, women, and money. So, Correct, so Chris, yeah. what did you think of the use of of time in the movie? Like, it was frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And so like, by yeah. the third by the third time,
1: you know the this it popped up on the screen. Yeah, um, t- the storyline. I was like, you know, what he did that day. Right. I was like, okay, this has to be the last one. Right. Yeah. But because you know, I I just was waiting for him to show that how his father died. Right. So you're just anticipating, anticipating, and then yeah. you're like, oh, okay, this is gonna go on for a while. <laughs> I kind of accept it and move on. But uh yeah, but I loved I loved it. I mean it, when it comes together at the end, it's nice. And, yeah, yeah, but it was frustrating at sure, first. And sure. the use uh, like of the young boy the young I thought boy. was brilliant. Yeah, okay. Um first of all, that young actor was was. Incredible, yeah, yeah. He actually sounded like and spoke like an adult right. when he was, you know, speaking as one, right? And you know, he's without like, I don't know, he just seemed like he was an adult trapped yeah. in a boy's body, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily just the words he was saying, but it just came across that way. It was really well done, yeah. He did. A, uh, he did how about a good you? Job. What do you think?
2: Uh, uh, again, the um, uh, as far as the, uh, I think, uh, I think it was uh, Aaron Ashmore, he's still he still acts, so he yeah, made, a, okay. yeah, he made a living at it, yeah. Um, the, you know, the thing, um, well, uh, when, when it first shows him, you know, he's in the street clothes, he's in the locker room. Right. And then as the film progresses, he eventually, and then we see him at the end and he's sitting there in that pristine right. Maple Leafs uniform. Correct. Fully dressed. Yeah. And and the point he makes at that point, I thought was interesting. He You know, he's, he's fully dressed and he says, as Brian Spencer, how he loved training camp. Right. Right, yeah. because, because your life was laid out for you. You know, they gave you a schedule. They told you where you had to be and when you had to be there. All you had to do was skate. Yeah. And, and, as we'll see, you know, one of the themes of this movie is how athletes, hockey players, all athletes. Yeah. It comes a time when it ends, and how do they deal with that transition. Correct. And and I think that's, you know, this is one of the uh, one of the underlying themes of the movie. You're right, though. It can get a little confusing. It was at yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, I can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. So uh, let's take a little look, a little recap of Spencer's life uh, before and after hockey. End of the notorious incident involving his father. Brian Roy Spencer, a.k.a. Spinner, was born 1949 in Fort St. James, which was originally a Hudson Bay trading post. It's back up beyond commu- a logging community in the B.C. interior, later home to NHLers Jim and Larry Poyford. Yeah, that was an interesting fact. Yeah, yeah. he wasn't the only one to come from that yeah, little town. Yeah, little town. Yeah, and another good moment was uh, when the teammate Brian is driving into Regina, for the first time and he's blown away right. by the size yeah, right yeah exactly like a, like a maritime huge or, city huge city yeah, yeah like a maritime seeing toronto for the first time <laughs> oh yeah exactly is, is, is exactly what it's like or so, seeing halifax even halifax for that, that. <laughs> yeah so he was a guy he was a guy he was a guy from the bush that's yeah, for sure yeah um his junior career uh, is shown in the movie that's accurate mm-hmm. he bounced around a couple of teams in the dub uh, and threatened a coach who talked to him like a city boy Uh, He was drafted by the Leafs in the fifth round, 55th overall in 1969. Uh, He had a cup of coffee with them that season and then went on to the Tulsa Oilers, where he met and married his first wife, with whom he had two kids. That was before a December 1970 call-up to the big club, where he established himself as a hard-working left-winger who would back down from no one. He became an original New York Islander in 72-73 and was voted most popular player by, uh, by the fans. Uh, he also met his second wife there, had another three kids. After two years, he was traded to Buffalo, and he spent four good years with good Sabres teams, uh, one which lost to the Flyers in the 74-75 finals, and then went on to spend uh, an unhappy year in change with Pittsburgh. Speaking of Pittsburgh, did, <laughs> did
1: that interview actually happen? And those of you who watched go back and watch the movie, of course— uh, but there's a pretty intense
2: scene there in an interview that happened. So uh, what did that really happen, that, Terry? That What's the a- story behind that? That actually happened. And uh, it was after a 9 nothing loss to the Flyers. Okay. And it was on a local broadcast with Pittsburgh sports announcing legend Bob Prince. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think video exists, um, but according to the book, that's a pretty accurate portrayal of how it went down. And it was career suicide. Uh, he was in the A for two years after that. Was done with professional hockey at the age of 30. After 553 games, 233 points, 634 penalty minutes in the NHL. Eight years later, he was dead. Yeah. Crazy story. Chris, in today's game, is there? could you give me someone who would be a spinner today? You know what? I, I took a lot of time to think about
1: this one. It's really tough to compare someone to him. Because of the era that we're in now, sure. there's no real players like this who exist, who right. can live this hard of a lifestyle yeah. outside, of the, outside of the rink or outside of hockey right. and still be able to perform on the ice. It's yeah. just, it's very, very rare. We've got like such high level athletes now. I'm not saying Brian Spencer wasn't a high level athlete, right. but he would never have been getting away with the stuff he was doing off the ice. Right. If I was to compare him to someone just with similar things that have happened to him throughout his career that's currently playing, maybe Zach Cassian would be the closest guy uh, for the Oilers. Uh, Zach Cassian's, you know, publicly had some issues battling, you know, substances and trouble on and off the ice uh tough guy role tough but can guy, also, yeah. also scores yeah that's right contributes you know, contributes offensively yeah. um you know plays a big role in his team fans love him teammates yeah. love him there all of is. those things so there he is. yeah i think there's i think there's that um yeah yeah That's the closest I can get, you know, and and, And that's no, that's not to take
2: anything away from Zach Cassian. Yeah, no, certainly (laughs) not. Uh, You know, again, Brian Spencer was a good hockey player. Yeah. Anybody who makes it to this level. Of course. And, you know, hung around for 10 years with some of the things that were going on in his life outside of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Yeah. So now his life after hockey, Terry. Right. When he finished it, uh, divorced for the second time, Spencer moved to Palm Beach, Florida. He held it together for a few years, working as a mechanic. He was one of those guys who could fix anything. We, we all know. Mm-hmm. We all know guys like that. Yeah. And he liked the weather. And he liked the fact that very few people knew very little about hockey. This was pre-expansion. The, uh, you're still a good 10 years away before there's Panthers in Florida right. and, and, and the lightning up in TB. So um, in 1982, he was living with a woman named Diane Delaina, a.k.a. Crystal, a prostitute who worked for a local escort service. On February 4th that year, a client of hers, a 32-year-old real estate salesman named Michael Dalfo, was found shot dead on an isolated road off the Florida Turnpike. Diane Delaina was questioned and released. She and Spencer parted ways, and while she cleaned up her act, Spencer continued to spiral. Five years later, when local police were looking at cold cases, they brought Delaina back in and after being granted immunity from prosecution, she said Brian Spencer did it. He was arrested and charged with kidnapping... And first-degree murder.
1: Yeah, and an incredible scene in the movie, very intense scene in the movie. <laughs>
2: um, I, I thought that was
1: it for him. Yeah. I thought I thought that's where it was going to end for right, him. Right, you saw that arrest. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so tell me a little bit, was well, that arrest portrayed like and, it was and, and in the movie? Yeah, yeah, Is that that, exactly? was, that yeah.
2: was very accurate. Yeah? Spinner okay. did not go quietly. Okay, well, and he did took, not. No, it took no. a half-dozen cops and <laughs> yeah. a helicopter. In an a helicopter, and an that's an helicopter. right. That's right, and, and he, he knew that the police were looking for him. He was homeless, a drifter with three outstanding warrants against him. Yeah. Uh, he'd been arrested five times for drunk driving in the previous three years, yeah. spending 10 days in jail. He spent three months in jail before a girlfriend took him in. But when the trial started, old friends rallied around him. His mother and brother, his second wife and kids, uh, Dave Keon, as mm-hmm. it's shown in the film. Yeah. Uh, also, Daryl Sittler from the Leafs, uh, Jerry Hart from the Islanders, Rick Martin from the Sabres. They all appeared uh, as character witnesses, you know, at the trial. Uh, It came down at the trial. It came down to he said, she said. Yeah. Right. And prosecutors had no gun, no blood, no witnesses, save for Diane Delaney. Spencer did not testify in his own defense. And he beat it. And he beat it. He did. Yes. Brian Spencer was found innocent on all charges. Uh, Again, just as well, because it's Florida where they have a cute name <laughs> for their... They call it Old Smoky. Old Smoky, <laughs> yeah. That was a funny scene. He's <laughs> you know, peeking it, in
1: the window at, at Old Smokey, the <laughs> electric chair.
2: There it is. And they still kill people in that state. So, uh, yeah, this this was literally life and death <laughs> yeah. for, for Brian Spencer. That could be a tune right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Three three months later, on June 14th, 1988, despite some evidence of a fresh start and straighten up and fly right, Brian Spencer was shot, not while actually buying crack cocaine, but while being in an area where, if one was hoping to buy crack cocaine, they'd they'd be in luck. And uh, and again, dead at uh, at the age of 38. I mean, all that he had been through,
1: and that came down to an argument over, uh, you know, getting getting held up
2: for, just, for uh, some change
1: yeah, wrong, in your pocket, exactly. basically, like wrong
2: place, long time. Oh
1: my God! Hi. Yeah. So in this movie, you know, his obviously his death is shown at the same time as his father and yeah. we did talk a little bit about the frustration one thing i wanted to ask you about was that when they ask about or when they when it pops up um on the day um, he was Ro cleaning, his, was shot, he was yeah. cl- he he was shot. He he was cleaning his gun, right? yes. And I'm like, did he shoot himself? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm like, so many things were going through my mind. Right, I was yeah. yeah, I was super frustrated at that point. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, but the act, their actual deaths were 18 years apart. That's it. So, right? what so, did you think of that?
2: Well, and and again, it's just that that way that uh, that Goyan, you know, uh, put it frames together. it on yeah. on the screen that it it gives it that much more impact, right? Because right. it's no secret. His death is coming, right? Yes, and and killing himself, it was it was much more surreal yeah. than that. Yeah. yeah, and and again, Roy Spencer, uh, uh, maybe an extreme example of of that type of guy known as for good or ill, a hockey parent. Ugh. Yeah, he unfortunately br- unfortunately now yeah. he taught Brian and his twin brother and his twin brother Byron, excuse yeah. me, how to play, mm-hmm. uh, stressing that this was a way out of the bush. Mm-hmm. You know, you can stay here and die, or you can play hockey. And it's long odds for anyone to make the NHL. But Brian Spencer came even further than most. So you can see why December 12, 1970, was the culmination of two lifelong dreams. And while you cannot condone the angry and violent reaction, you can understand the disappointment and frustration when Roy Spencer realized that his son's first game on Hockey Night in Canada, then still a very much unique and unifying showcase, with his son as the intermission guest was not going to be shown locally. Uh, BC got the Canucks California Golden Seals instead of the Maple Leafs Blackhawks. And Chris, it's at this moment I'd like you to ask you if you yeah. can speak a little bit of, about why, what it is about the sport of hockey that makes some parents, maybe not this crazy, but, <laughs> but what, what drives, why are there bad hockey Well, Well, you know what? I mean, I can't even, I,
1: it's, it comes down to two things ego yeah and money yeah so you can you can like you know parents living through their own glory days through their kids you can yep. talk about the fame you can talk about the the long contracts and you can talk about whatever but it all comes down to ego i think and um you know i was a little bit surprised like this is an older story um so this, to see this happening back then, right. is was a little bit, you know, like surprising. Yeah, because hockey players weren't rich to, yep. per se back then. Yeah. There wasn't. I guess it was maybe just maybe you can help me out here, Terry. But maybe it was just the start of like the fame and fortune amongst hockey players. Sure, it was, it was the cusp,
2: eh? I mean, we're talking nineteen seventy so sixty eight was uh, was uh, expansion, right? And we're just coming in. The WHA is Cor- okay. just coming. Okay, so just there you come. go. So maybe yeah. it, it is was like just on his cusp father
1: of is seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, maybe sure. yep. where his kid can get out of town, like you said. Yep, uh, get out of Fort Saint James, yep. and. Um, yeah, maybe it—it it was just the kind of the start of this kind of crazy hockey parents. Because right. before that, I don't think that existed. I think a lot of parents would have per, like dissuaded their kids from joining hockey leagues yeah, because yeah. it wasn't lucrative. It was a yeah, hard yeah. job. Yeah. The travel and pay were bad,
2: but I mean, maybe that's what it was. Maybe and, it was the start of this. Yeah, and I and I think I think money as well is is hockey is an investment at yeah. any level. Yeah. And and you know, uh, unfortunately, well, well, obviously, the reason that uh, you know basketball and uh, and soccer are are the dominant games worldwide is because you need very little to play those. Right. But you have to if your kid is going to play hockey anywhere, it's an investment, huge investment. Right. Yeah. And and maybe that's the way I see it. Again, you're right about the ego, the living, you know, your dreams yeah. through your child. Yeah. Right. And and but then at the same time, when you've paid that much money for. Uh, well, any, at the bare minimum, uh, equipment and and ice time. Yeah. And now, as you know, the game evolves. It's it's extra coaching and, and power skating and and this and that. Yeah. So you and know, this maybe... was the
1: start of power skating. Maybe when he made when he made Brian skate like
2: uh, overnight. Yeah. Did the ovals <laughs> into right? the next day. Oh yeah. And yeah. True enough. Yeah, right? No problem. Yeah. Right. He, and he did it. And he did it. That's yeah. That's that's true to life. So wow. Yeah. So, so I, yeah. I think, so yeah. I think maybe. all parents out there, you know, take a take a deep breath. Well, right? yeah. Well, as soon as
1: it became a, a, you know, with fame and fortune, maybe this, like I said, maybe this was the start of that whole thing.
2: How about this? As a referee, have you seen any incidents of this?
1: Uh, way too many. Uh-huh. I've actually had. St- well, probably close to ten experiences where we've had to throw parents out of arenas, which is you know, as a referee, yeah, back home, yeah, hasn't happened here in Hong Kong. Uh, there's it's a huge difference here in the culture, of course, obviously, of course, yeah. Um, the the uh, but yeah, back home there was some embarrassing, very embarrassing moments where we've had to ask parents to leave the leave the rink, yeah, stop a game, yeah, middle of a weekend event yeah. kind of thing, right. you know, like yeah, so yeah yeah so yeah th- those are always really sad moments Indeed. actually for yes. Me. yes yeah because yeah. it's so, like it's so embarrassing yeah. to the game yeah and it's like oh my god like yeah it's this you know. is a i guess at the, at it's the like, heart this of is it. a peA game in, you know in, in, and, in a coal at the heart, mining town right at the, at the heart of it, you'd like, old, yeah. yeah
2: you'd like to think at the heart of it it's it's coming from a place of of love but yeah 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 when when the nine-year-olds are maybe the more and more the most mature people in the rink yeah you're uh, you're in you're, trouble you're in trouble
1: so yeah. terry you talked about this scene yeah. um so did he <laughs> let's just go back a second here so you're talking about um the drive yeah did did he actually this, this, I, like I, you know you explained he he was upset yeah obviously it was a huge moment in his son's yeah, career yeah. that's right he wanted to witness it so of he course, wanted to yeah. watch as it as any parent would right yeah. so
2: he drove to the CBC he, he drove to the CBC and yeah. again the movie Hughes pretty close to the truth here okay it was during Spencer's second game after he was called up to the lease for good in December 1970. His daughter had been born earlier that week in Tulsa not the day of the game is in the movie but Roy Spencer did put up a new antenna, had a pregame meal and a nap, and was all ready to watch his boy. And he cleaned his gun. He cleaned his gun. <laughs> <laughs> when, when he realized what might be happening, he called CKPG, the CBC affiliate in Prince George, to complain. After being told nothing could be done about a network decision, he threatened to come down there, saying he was tired of people shitting on the North. When the Canucks game came on instead of the Leafs, He grabbed a couple of guns and a bottle and drove the 135 kilometers to Prince George. There, he took five CBC employees hostage, one managed to call the RCMP, and he made them shut off the broadcast. When he left the building, three Mounties were waiting for him. Roy Spencer shot first, hitting one before the police returned fire, killing him on the spot. He was 59 years old. As Roy Spencer was facing off with the Mounties, Brian Spencer was being interviewed on hockey night in Canada. Authorities informed Brian Spencer of the incident after the game. He played the next night in Buffalo, where he won a fight, had two assists, and was named second star. He was one of those guys who played better when he was upset. And I don't think that makes him unique amongst hockey players or, or you know, maybe many other athletes. Four days later, he returned to the fort to deliver the eulogy at his father's funeral, and then, without time off or counseling, returned to basically start his NHL career. He put his head down and played hockey as he was taught. And and Chris, you, you had not heard of this incident before the movie.
1: I have not, but I mean, yeah, just hearing, hearing you read that, I mean, and listening to the... Um... You know the story you've heard so so many times of athletes doing these types of things, either like performing amazingly after someone's death or right. a tragedy yeah. happens. Yeah, spurring them on. Yeah, it just you know, put your head down and play. Yeah, that's could, the you, way you were taught. Indeed.
2: I mean, it's just. Could Could you it, imagine? Something like this happening today? No, no, no I, not I, at all. I don't think it's not a, possible. I any don't even longer, think right? I don't where think you it is. can. There's too much hockey now. Yeah, <laughs> right. If there's a problem, you yeah, know, there with, definitely is. There's, yeah. there's there's too much of it. If there's a problem, yeah. So this this idea of not being able to see uh, to see him at all that uh, you know, but but again, the overreaction, yep. right of, of some parents. That's that's still uh, that's still possible. Um, one thing I did learn from the book um, at the time of the incident. Roy Spencer was dying from uremic poisoning. So no one will ever know, but maybe you could speculate and say that this is what they call suicide by cop, Mm -hmm. right? Now, that scenario does not square with the filmmaker's narrative that the incident was the actions of a violent and angry father who passed on those violent and angry tendencies to his son, Mm -hmm. who at first would be rewarded for his violence and anger, but then would ultimately meet a similar fate. And this leads us back into the film. And the decision by Adam McGowan to show Brian Spencer's uh, hockey career by interweaving live action and kinescopes. Okay, kinescopes, Terry. What, what are kinescopes? Yeah, the kinescope, uh, they're a, a recording of a television program on a motion picture film. They have that grainy, lo-fi look to them, and they were common in the early days of television before uh, the advent of videotape. Mm-hmm. So when you're watching the movie and you see the actual clips... Right. From uh, from the CBC. They're videotapes archives. of the clips. They're, they're, they're videotapes. <laughs> they're they're an actual they take a film camera. Yeah. And, and film the television program. Right. And yeah. that's why it has that sort of once removed. Exactly. Kind of grainy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look to it. Right. Um, Agoyan knew he needed to recreate some type of realistic looking hockey scenes from Spencer's NHL career in order to to, to achieve the desired result. Egoyan intercuts specific plays and fights from old black-and-white CBC Hockey Night Canada kinescopes with elaborately choreographed on-ice sequences with his actors. According to Egoyan, the resulting mix of what is clearly archival material with what is clearly dramatized is a conscious attempt to remind viewers that they are watching television, not Spencer's actual life in video replay. He wanted to make it clear that it was a construct and and Chris um, first of all what did you think of the action uh, hockey action with the actors well I think he nailed it by saying
1: you know like he wasn't trying to recreate something that looked like hockey action because knowing he was going to use those clips right I think they did a really good job of like leading you into the actual footage. So like they recreated the scenes well. Right. But again, the hockey action is, we know how tough it is to recreate, but wearing the old timey skates, watching people trying to skate with them on. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, um, The old timey sticks, yeah, um, all those things. Like it's awkward. It's hard to, (laughs) it's hard to say it's awesome. Right. But I mean, it, it serves the purpose in this case, and I thought he did a really good job of interweaving those two,
2: those indeed, two together. Indeed, and and I mean, uh, I I'd put it somewhere, you know, maybe not Mystery Alaska, but certainly, right. <laughs> certainly not Young Blood. No, certainly you know, not. Yeah, it was somewhere in the middle, as far as, <laughs> yeah. as as far as 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 you said. As we always make note that uh, filming hockey is extremely. Uh, the, the other thing to realize too is if if you do watch uh, any Adam McGowan movies, mm. they're very interior. You know, not a lot goes on in adam OGoyan movies so just the fact that he is able to handle yeah. you know this action for and, our listeners
1: that don't know adam OGoyan, who would you compare him to as a as a filmmaker
2: um well now in certainly in conjunction with this film chris yeah uh going back to raging bull right martin scorsese oh, of course and yeah. you know whereas scorsese had no interest whatsoever in doing raging bull because it was boxing right what do i know of boxing uh, De Niro had to badger him and talk him into it, mm-hmm. and then once he started to look at Jake LaMotta's life, he found, oh, okay, there are similarities. There are, there is an angle here that I can, right. you know. And then he put his skills towards that. So right. I, I think it's the same here. You know, Goyan, uh, certainly not a hockey fan, but he looked at aspects of Brian Spencer's life, became interested in that in the story in the story, yeah. and said, okay, I can tell it. I can, and do then this. and then yeah. he knew that again to tell it correctly. Just as you know, Scorsese. If you if you do watch Raging Bull, which you really should, mm-hmm. even though it's a hard watch, yeah, it does not a well, this movie job. wasn't the easiest to watch as either. Indeed, indeed, yeah, and and sad, uh, yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> well, but again, isn't that isn't that you know what what art is? I mean, yeah, you know, of it's, course, yeah, it, it's supposed to you was you're gonna feel something you gotta you're feel, gonna something. feel something yeah, yeah and and i was happy when you told me you were i felt bad for holly for a, she has <laughs> yeah, I I was like live what's with wrong you? with yeah, you chris yeah. i'm like i'm just sad yeah she has to
1: like live i, had, with I it. watched
2: this movie <laughs> Terry terry whalen made me watch this movie and now <laughs> uh, i'm depressed yeah well again that's she has to live with you but again adam be going to be happy to hear he well, did a, he, he had if job you could watch done. this movie without feeling anything then no. yeah you're pretty you're numb you're numb yeah and, and again, it's it's that you know the difference, of course, and or or the similarity, you know, when when Scorsese he was uh, you know recreating actual boxing matches right. and and here it's you know it was, you know, as you said, they did a good job of melding it together. Mm-hmm. and and the one name that did come up, with the jumping from the live action was was Keith Magnuson. Yes. Yeah, and then do you do you recognize that name? Do you know what I'm kind of like ashamed to say I don't
1: because I know after after researching this and looking into his stats and realizing what he's done you know, he led the league. Like he's he yeah, was penalty a, minutes. In penalty twice. minutes, yeah. Yeah, a, yeah. This is a tough character. I should have known about him, but he was no, a tough guy. I, I did not know about right. him. Right. Well
2: and and I I but guess now I do. Now you do. And, yeah. and 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 I mean in your defense, he was yeah. a stay at home defenseman. Okay. Fourteen goals in, in his career for the for the Blackhawks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has some similarities to Spencer though. Like Spencer, he was from a small town, Woodina, yeah. Saskatchewan, and he played in the NHL from nineteen sixty nine to nineteen eighty. Also, like Spencer, he died a tragic public death. In December 2003, he was killed in a car accident. The driver was Rob Ramich, former number one pick of the Colorado Rockies in 1979, who also played with St. Louis, Calgary, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Montreal, Philadelphia, Toronto. He was on that uh, cup-winning team with uh, the Flames in 88, and he was a member of that Canadian squad in uh, in 1993 mm. and uh, ramage uh, was convicted on five drunk dr- drunk driving related charges sentenced to 4 years in prison yeah
1: i didn't know about
2: that yeah and i i think you know again served a, a much shorter time maybe about 10 months and and has been to his credit uh, a great uh, champion of, you know, getting the message out for mad, et cetera, you know, of, none, course. of not drinking and driving, but yeah, uh, just one of those sort of eerie coincidences, mm. eh, that, you, you know, you're, I was watching this movie. And as you said, it's sad enough. Yeah. And, and then well, you do some research and, then and, then and you're mad even mad sadder. About, yeah, Keith Magnus, wait a minute. I, that, that yeah. I remember him playing, but I remembered him for another reason. And unfortunately, yeah, yeah, that that was the other reason. What And what about the old footage, Chris? What did you think it Well,
1: is? there's so many things I love about the old footage, yeah. Terry. Yeah, there's yeah, There's so many things. Like, I agree. I'm not like your super historian. I'm not good with like dates and, and like historical facts. But like when I watch something from that time first yeah. of all the voice the old-timey voice yeah. it's like you know that staple like get your popcorn here like, <laughs> it's like a carny's voice yeah but i don't it's just it's it's always the same um the beat up players yeah. they're just like they're just so sore looking all the time like yeah. they've got, they're bruised up they got scars yeah um their gear looks the like gear. tattered uh, the long coats and, and hats in the stands and the smoking pipes and the, <laughs> the you know the rooms yeah. half filled oh, with yeah. smoke. Like, oh, I love watching those old time footage yeah. and also like watching these guys like sacrifice their bodies yeah. in a way that we don't like. We watch it like a Tortorella team today, yeah. and we're like watching guys take abuse that doesn't even compare no, to the so, abuse like. that these guys took. Like, yeah. there wasn't even glass. Yeah. Like they were just going up against boards that didn't yeah. move and posts no that didn't give. move, and they had no gear on and nothing that protected <laughs> them. It's just like, yeah. So I love, I really yeah. appreciate the old time footage. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was great.
2: Yeah, yeah again, a, a very, very effective construct. Yeah. Indeed. And, and you know, seeing that NHL action, I, I like hearing the names. You know, you, you yeah. heard like Norm, Norm, Normie Ullman, yeah. Jerry Corab, Yeah. Right. The, the intermission interview with Spencer was with Ward Cornell who hosted Hockey Night in Canada from 1959 to 1972. He was replaced by Dave Hodge, who in 1987 flipped his pen and then was replaced by Ron McClain. Also, Chris, I'd make note of that clip from the end of the Tommy Hunter show.
1: Right, right. Yes,
2: you do remember. Tommy I do Hunter. remember
1: the Tommy Hunter show. Right, you know, yes. I was young. Yes, but I probably indeed. only yeah. saw the
2: reruns. Yeah. But, Wonder, but I do remember. <laughs> let me wander all my life away. Oh, just uh, goosebumps I had. There you go. But but I will say this: I knew that was inaccurate, and I, yeah. I went back and checked. Tommy Hunter never led into. Hockey Night in Canada. And I can't believe you picked up on this. Tommy Hunter was never... It was, it was too popular on its own. Why would you have... Adam McGoin
1: if you're listening, <laughs> if when you wrote this and you put in the fact that that introed into a Hockey Night in Canada I on think, Saturday well, night, no, did you maybe, know that Terry Whalen was going
2: to pick up on this? I think I think maybe he might have done it on purpose. He might it's just tugging at those heartstrings. Right? Yeah, that it's could again, be them. Yeah, well, it worked just, on you. It did. It, it made me sit up and notice. <laughs> I, it was just... Yeah, it take, takes you back to the day. And, that's and again, hilarious. That's great... Very effective, effective, film effective filmmaking, filmmaking right there. Yeah. That's right. And, and and overall, I think it's a good-looking TV movie. Uh, it was filmed on location in the Yukon, Florida, and Maple Leaf Gardens in the spring of 1992, uh, budgeted at $2.5 million. Uh, as a CBC production, you know, you really have no pressure to to make that money back, yeah. Um, but again, that production design, you know, the old unis, the skates, uh, the, as you said, the clothes, you know, the uh, the scenes off the the ice. vehicle was, that
1: they made for him, the
2: vehicle, you know, and that <laughs> was real. He he made the Hulk. yeah, yeah, that's and, incredible, you know, and driving that Rolls Royce, yeah, and those disco tastic clothes, yeah, right in yeah. the seventies, mm-hmm. and then and then the white trash. Uh, you know, Florida in the '80s. I mean, it yeah. just—it it looked. It was a good-looking movie. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's. Let me ask you. But what about Daniel Cash, the uh, the actor who uh, who played Brian Spencer? Well, the, did, did he look like him? Did you?
1: Well, I did side by
2: side comparison.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The, definitely, when they were younger, they looked a lot like with the curly hair. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, just yeah. a really rugged look. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. And yeah. a
2: very good actor, this guy. Again, Daniel Cash, prolific TV actor. Yeah. Uh, approaching two hundred. Credits on IMDb, including uh, CBC classics like Due South, Corner Gas, and *Grassy: The Next Generation. Uh, he's like the Brian Spencer of actors. You know, he's grinding it out on the third line. You know, there's there's a lot more actors like him than there are the Wios the and Keanu's. Yeah. You know, just like there's a lot more... Third liners than there are the Connors and the uh, and the Sidneys. That's right. right? Yeah, Correct. and I, I think the same. You know, you could say for Peter McNeil who played Roy Spencer. Mm-hmm. He's over 200 credits on IMDb. Crazy. With yeah, with Canadian staples like ENG, uh, Traders and Republic of Doyle on his resume. And and I thought he was really good here as as a hockey dad whose positive and negative lessons you know, have a great influence on his son's life. Yeah. Uh, one more point, Chris. The movie was written by Paul Gross. Do you recognize that name? Well,
1: I recognize Do South.
2: There it the is. The reference to Do South. That's exactly uh, That That's another
1: classic Canadian show. All these references that Terry's just flying by, you guys, these are classic
2: Canadian TV shows. That's it, Mary. And, and I mean, he was Constable Benton Frazier on yes, Due South. Yes, correct. From 1994 to 1999, and he's still a popular TV guy. Now, there were a few clunkers in, in this script, right? Yeah. That uh, I'm a hockey player, almost genetically violent. Yeah. Right? That's kind of, uh, and, and control your fear. It will become your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that is a little hard it's to watch. A, yeah. yeah. But, but for overall, it's very it's faithful to O'Malley's book. Yeah. Uh, again, like Net Worth, the other CBC movie we looked at, they, they play with the timeline. But events like Brian Spencer beating up a motorist and pulling a gun on a box seat owner he thought was screwing his wife, those things happened.
1: Yeah. While the box, while he's sitting there watching porn, <laughs>
2: this, that's, this guy's sitting in the press box watching porn with yeah. a gun to his head. Yeah. Now and again, maybe that you'd have to ask Adam Mcgoyan for, for that detail. Yeah. But Sp- Spencer, you know, things like that—they worked into the script. Those were actual.
0: Those Events are real from things, this man's yeah, yeah very very it's crazy to life. think yeah
2: right. so the first, you never get away with any of those things today yeah, well, again yeah, yeah yeah the the first draft was very much a courtroom drama and mm-hmm. then again Adam McGoyan got his hands on it right
1: so I did al- already ask you to give me a comparison to Adam McGoyan but tell me a little bit more and tell our listeners a little bit more about about this sure. uh, prolific Canadian yeah, filmmaker. Yeah, sure. And,
2: and again, uh, one of Canada's most acclaimed and influential in- filmmakers. Right. Uh, cerebral and unconventional. He makes, as one critic put it, some assembly required movies. <laughs> that is really well said, Very actually. Very well said, yeah. yeah. They, they typically tackle such themes as personal and communal displacement right. and the lingering effects of trauma and abuse. So you can see why he was drawn to Brian Spencer's story, right. when at first glance, they, they seem an odd couple. Uh, he's been nominated for two Oscars, has won eight Genie Awards, and has won five awards at the Cannes Film Festival. And it's no surprise that the French like him. Uh, his more recent work, it's not been up to the Euro earlier promise, critically or popularity-wise, but he remains an idiosyncratic talent who's technically sound thanks to cutting his teeth on TV shows like The Twilight Zone and TV movies like Gross Misconduct. And, Chris, I'd recommend to listeners uh, check out The Sweet Hereafter, uh or or even uh exotica from his from his earlier work um maybe the more recent uh he had one from I think it was around 2015 it's called remember which is is just batshit crazy okay yeah but but i again i've been many times in many bars i've i've had the conversation slash argument that there are no great Canadian movies, and and if someone <laughs> you know if someone says that to me, you bring up the sweet hereafter, and you can shut that down. Okay, it that's is. the end of the argument. Like, oh man, don't tell me there's no great Canadian. You watch that movie, and, and there that, you go, that, folks. Yeah, if you if you
1: got Canadian nothing movie. out of this podcast, the sweet here sweet hereafter. Yeah, sorry, uh, you
2: you should see how they use uh, courage by the tragically hip in that movie.
1: Oh well, even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a must watch.
2: Hey. Again, you'll you'll be sad. Uh, how you. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Accomplished. You, mission. mission accomplished. Mission You go watch The Sweet Hereafter. You're, you're forewarned.
1: You'll okay. be sad. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with being sad, Terry. Okay, good man. I'm okay with yeah. that. Uh, it's, it's uncomfortable at the time, but uh, I mean, yeah. we do learn things from these emotions, that's right? That's right, yeah. All right,
2: so uh, did people like this movie, Terry? I mean, I I did, even though it made me sad. <laughs> exactly, right? And there's, Chris, that's the thing. <laughs> you know, just because something's good for you, yeah. it doesn't mean it's good. Right. Right, and, and I get Martin O'Malley, who wrote the book. He liked it, Uh, but he said it would flummox both Hockey Night in Canada fans and cineasts who like Adam McGowan. Right. So so the people who like hockey would be saying, what's all this artsy-fartsy stuff? Yeah. And the people who like artsy fartsy movies would be saying, what's all this hockey stuff? Yeah, so he, a good balance. He, yeah, he was almost guaranteed to please no one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the critical reaction was mixed. Mike Beamish in The Vancouver Sun called it the grimmest, rawest, most depressing hockey movie he ever saw. There you have it. I could have wrote the same thing the other night. Yeah, indeed. And, and it had 1.2 million viewers on the night, which was disappointing for a Sunday night movie. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Chris, I think this should be part of the CBC's mandate telling a uniquely canadian story and letting a talented canadian director tell it his way and and again again he was nice enough to throw in a couple of breasts he did yeah just to give yeah as give i the was people. watching
1: see uh... Episode 6 out of 7 that, on the ferry.
2: Yeah. There, this <laughs> pops up on the screen. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I, I didn't realize it was NSFW. <laughs> That's it. And, <laughs> again, but he gave some gave the people something to complain about. Yeah. Right? And, and the complaints did pour in from Alberta especially. Yeah. Well, so,
1: yeah. 1.2 million viewers today for a TV show or a movie at a certain time on a certain date right. would be massive right, of course. for TV ratings. Times, That's how much things have, have changed. They went from changed. being... That went from being bad to good to bad. That's exactly right.
2: That's exactly right.
1: (laughs) So I guess, Terry, there's only one question left. Spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't seen the movie. Maybe you should pause it and come back. But the only question
2: left is, did Brian Spencer commit murder? And Chris, will never know. Like the movie, author Martin O'Malley, who knew Spencer well and whose book is a very detailed and entertaining summary of his life and trial, leaves the question open. Brian Spencer says he didn't do it, was an easy scapegoat for it, and was not convicted of it. But then, nobody really knew Brian Spencer. He was, as Truman Capote would say, part of the talented untalented. A role player celebrated for his violence on the ice and punished for it off it. A guy whose style of play remains popular with fans to this day, even as the game evolves from its brutal roots. What the movie leaves us with are questions older than the game itself questions about fathers and sons about violence inside of and outside of sport and about what happens to athletes once the cheering stops and that life goes on without you and it's time to grow up
1: incredible thank you so much terry uh, uh, I thanks can, for the
2: opportunity man.
1: oh man i really appreciate all the hard work and uh paulie thank you for all your hard work as over always at the Paul well
0: you know i'm over here working hard boys. <laughs> um, go
1: back folks and watch this movie uh, you can find it on youtube yep. it's called um sorry gross misconduct yep gross misconduct yeah, the, the life of brian spencer the life of brian spencer um i think it's in seven parts but it's seven wor- parts yeah yeah it's worth the watch um just be prepared. Might not be the, <laughs> the most uplifting movie we'll, we'll of try all to, time. Yeah, if you didn't we'll get try. that from we'll,
2: this conversation, we'll, but uh, we'll try to. Find, I will tell
1: you, it's an interesting one, indeed, and uh, yeah. and a story that you may never see or hear again.
2: That's right. And and again, at the end of the day, Chris, it's, it's a true story. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and part of they're the, the best uh, kind. Yeah, indeed. Part of the uh, part of the the big fabric of uh, of the game that's true Yeah.
1: thanks a lot Terry we'll yeah. be back again in another month or so I'm sure yeah, with, uh, yeah,
2: I'll try to uh, you know we'll try maybe a little more uplift next time
1: yeah. <laughs> sounds good buddy right, looking man. forward to it thank you sir that was Across the Pond and that's a wrap
2: thank you once again to our amazing
1: sponsors the China Hockey Group AccessoryHouseGlobal.com Wheel Hub Asia The Big Bite Restaurant Felix & Co Psalm Sleep and Yardley Brothers Craft Brewery and, of course, our head honcho here at Sunset Studio, Mr. Paul McClain. Folks, if you want to reach out, send in a question or a comment to acrossthepondhk.com or find us on social media at acrossthepondhk.
2: Yeah, that yeah. was awesome. That was good, eh? Good. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah.
1: Such a, such a crazy story. Oh, we man. We at least had to have a few laughs about
2: it. Well, and if you don't laugh, you will, you will cry. You
1: will cry. Yeah, that's exactly